Today, guys, I want to talk about a subject which is very, very close to my heart and to some of you here today and to some of you it will be. So either this will directly apply to you now or it will apply to you at some stage in the future. It doesn't matter how old you are, what background you are, what stage of life you're at. And I want to talk about today encouragement for hurting parents. And this stems from a situation which is all too familiar. When somebody that you love decides to go a different way. And they decide that they're going to take a walk and sometimes a 180 degree opposite to where you would have liked them to have gone. When? And that's caused me to wonder, why do kids from godly homes go astray? Anybody ever wondered that? Yeah? A few people have, yeah. Well, I certainly have. Now, I don't know that there's one specific answer to this question. But I do know there are many examples in Scripture of godly parents who had kids go AWOL. Many. So that I do know for sure. For example, how about Adam? Well, how, how, hold on. Let's even wind the truck up before that. What about God, who is a perfect father, and what happened to his very own son and daughter? First off the get-go, in a perfect environment where there, were, there was nothing there, there were no drugs, there was no ridiculous things being pushed down their throats, and yet he just said, look, you've got control over everything, but there's just this one little bitty thing there. Don't touch that. That just shows that you're not God and I am God. There's just one thing, millions you can think, do, but not this one. Just to show that who's controlling. But of course they blew it. And then of course Adam. Adam had one of his sons do something which wasn't particularly pleasing. You remember that one? Or Noah. How about Noah and his sons? How about Samuel? Remember? He was a pastor. And he had two sons. And they were shockers. And then we've got Eli and David. Eli and David. Many godly parents had to choose, uh, ha- had kids who chose the wrong way is my point. Many of them. And we could go on. So today, I'm going to look at a passage of Scripture that shows us, now it may be your grandparent, uh, your grandchildren. It shows us what to do because God is always practical. He shows us what to do when kids, maybe some of your friends at school, rebel. What to do. And I want to, those of you with your Bibles, and I highly encourage you in this church to bring your Bibles. If you haven't and you're visiting today, that's just perfectly fine. We've got the verses on the PowerPoint behind us. So today we're going to look at this. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. I want to kick off from there. And Jesus is telling a beautiful story of the prodigal son. Actually, it's more about a lesson of God's love. But it also illustrates some very powerful parenting principles. That's a lot of peas for this time of the morning. Okay, and what we're going to see in this, very briefly, I'll give you an overview, are three key sort of segues. Scene one, scene two, and scene three. The first one, three stages in a parent child conflict. Some of you will know these by heart because you've seen it displayed in your very own home. 
The first one, first stage will be the rebellion stage. And we'll go back and we'll cover these in detail. That's the first stage you're going to see. No, don't want a bar of it. And after rebellion, the second stage is going to come along and that's the re-evaluation. Something happens to cause people to re-evaluate or reconsider, but I want to use the word re-evaluation. And then thirdly, in this case, we see the return. Stage one, I want to kick off from the beginning now. Stage one's rebellion. I'm going to pick up from verse 11 of Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to be reading today predominantly from the New American Standard Version. It says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, by the way, notice that was a wrong order for a start. The younger, normally the older one leaves first, etc. But a certain man, the younger of them said to his father, Father, notice these words, give me. Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. He's talking some serious bucks here. Now in every parent-child relationship, and you'll see this, I saw this the week, at this age, there's a power struggle. And it starts at this age. And if you don't believe in the doctrine of original sin, you just check who taught them. Mine. It's already there. All of your life, folks, you're trying to straighten your kid back up from away from selfishness, this way, right? And you're trying to teach him to be polite, not rude. How to be respectful. Not this, because they kind of like automatically know to do the things that are in the opposite direction. So there's a bent that goes that way. So there's a parent-child power struggle. And basically the question here is, who's in control? I have seen some little three-year-olds run a household. Anybody seen that? Of course, not in our families, right? <laughs> Somehow, they've got mum and dad wrapped so much around their little finger that they're in control and mum and dad just dance to their little whims and wishes. Anyway, what happens is, these are the facts. A kid is born and he's 100% or she is 100% under the parent's control. And through her life, as it moves on, control shifts to that child and further on up, you know, as they grow older, more mature. Now, how many of you here today would agree that kids naturally want control quicker than parents are prepared to give it? Yeah? That's the general trend here. That's exactly what's happening with his son. The younger one. Give me the share of the estate. By the way, was it eventually going to come to him? Yeah. So what's the problem? He just wanted it too soon. He didn't have the character to handle it. Oh, it was going to be his. What he was asking for was rightfully going to be his eventually. The problem is the timing here. And how many times? Well, you have to wait. How many of you said that to you until you're 13 or 15 or whatever the age appropriate thing is? And do they want to wait? No way. And if they don't get it, boy, do they pout and jump up and down. So here, I want to focus on the classic confrontation. Father, give me What's mine? Give me the share. And his attitude is thinking, if I could do my own thing, 
if I could do as I please with no restrictions, if I could be my own boss, not answerable to anybody, including you, Dad, things would be just great. That's the attitude that's coming at you. Because let me tell you, it is flipping audacious for this guy to ask that. And I found kids today ask their parents for things that we wouldn't have, I'd have lost my head, my mother would have taken my head off if I'd asked her for some things that kids ask for today. They're more audacious. So, let's pick it up from 13. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. So picture him driving down the sands of Sunset Strip in Jerusalem on his Camelac. Partying. Now let me tell you, a young man with a lot of money, what's going to be there? Wine, women and song. That's a fact. It's going to be there. Now I don't know about you, but I noticed about 10 years ago that kids don't have to leave home anymore to leave home. And what I mean by that is they have something called cars. And they can lead entirely different lives and we may not even know it. So what do you do when your kid's old enough and you can't control him and he says, I want out? Some of you have faced that. Some of you are going to face that. This is what to do. Listen carefully. Let go. Let him go. Let him go. Notice the father did not chase him. And that can be a very hard thing for parents to do, to let go. We see this in verse 13a, the first part. The youngest son set off for a distant country. Doesn't say the father was chasing around, begging him to come back and not leave. This father was very wise. Second, critical. If you don't get anything else I get today, get this. Let them make their own mistakes. You need to write that down. Underline it with about five exclamation marks after it. To remember that you need the self-control to stop rescuing them. The son's hanging out, he's having a great time, boozed up to his eyeballs, shacking around. That's what was happening. Don't sugarcoat this. Having a great time, he thinks. And what he's actually doing is throwing out all of his parents and his family values. Don't want a bar of it. All he's been taught at home, his parents' value system seems to have gone to the wall. Because the Bible says, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Friends, rebellion is always a waste. They may not see that. In fact, they don't. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Now, do you think, question, that his father would have known that his son was going to get into trouble? Do you think that? He did. Knowing that, if it was you, would you be tempted to write him emails of advice or 
little Facebook comments to try and jam him or her around the right direction. Private message, of course. You know, depends. Be careful. Be careful of advising your children when they have left, unless they ask for it. Don't go offering your advice. They've had 18, 19 years of it. Some things in life are only learned through pain. Notice how I say pain. That's because I have felt it. Pain is a great teacher. And guess what? It's not wearing your emotional energy out trying to teach them that. They just get it through the school of hard knocks. They have to go through the university of adversity and they have to graduate. Some have to do the course over and over again till they get it. Some of your kids will be really fast learners and some of them will be very slow in the slow class and they'll have to repeat the same year time and time again. Now, just before I say that, some of you here today may feel very good about yourselves because you have one child. And that child has turned out perfectly. <laughs> Can I suggest to you that if you had two, it may be a different story, or three, it's very definitely going to be a different story. <laughs> because you all have individual personalities and individual choices. So please, I say to you, who seem to have gotten off unscathed so far, please try not to be smug about that. Because I've found that God gives grace to the humble yet he's opposed to, and the story's not finished yet. You've got marriage and all that stuff after that for your kids. So be careful, be humble, lest you stumble. Sometimes kids only learn through pain. And some, I don't know about you, some of mine I could look at and they'd immediately submit. Others, man, my hand was getting sore in the days when I learned to spank your kids. And they'd almost laugh, hit me harder, Dad. What? Maybe it's just my kids, but how about yours? What I'm saying is some have varying degrees of defiance. Huh? Now the Bible says this clearly, and you may want to meditate in this verse, Proverbs 23. It says sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Great verse. Painful. How many of you agree with that verse? Uh-huh. It's not when we don't change when we see the light. Oh, that's a good idea. We change when we feel the heat. I know it's wrong to drive around without a one of fitness or without a rego. I know that. Everybody does. It gets my attention when they get a $200 fine. Maybe you too, huh? More pain. Whoa! One of my sons had to learn that two or three times. On the same instance, $600. Isn't that again? How many of you are living proof of that verse? Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Eh? <laughs> okay, three, which is directly related to two. Let them reap the consequences. There are consequences of their own choices. Don't interfere with the law of sowing and reaping, mum and dad. Grandma and grandpa. If you do this 
and you jump in, you are not loving your child because notice what happens next. Verse 14. After he had spent everything, he began to be in need. Ah, what a beautiful word, need. Some of you here in New Zealand and in America are struggling with, with young adults who are still living at home. And they're causing you a pain in the blessed assurance. Some of you are listening to this on the internet. You need to look at that verse and understand need motivates. My first question to you is who's paying for their food? Are they paying board? Are they doing all of their own chores and adding to the value of the family by making you at least two meals a week? If they're not doing all of those, they are freeloading off you and you're doing them a tremendous disservice. Strike, not a, you need to know what the rent is available. If they have to go out there, how much is it for one room? You should know that. And why are you charging them sub-market? Your man be pambying them. Why would they ever have a need when mum's providing food, laundry service, taxi service and everything else? It's ridiculous. Let them feel the need. They need to pay. Oh, you want internet? Yeah, good, you can contribute now. You're over 18. Pay something. Otherwise, kids are eternally babies. The Bible says this, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. Man, we don't know what the word severe famine means in the whole country. And he, um, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired, oh, look at this. Need, gets him off his butt and he's actually gonna do some work. No worky, no eaty. He goes out and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who happened to send him to his fields to feed pigs. And as he's doing that, the guy says here, the Bible says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. He didn't have the quality of food that pigs ate. There was a stage in my life, the cats in the house I was boarding in had better food than I did. And my friend actually ate cat food. I know what it's like to be in, uh, in need. So do you, Dave, if you're listening to this. But no one gave him anything to eat. So let, let me tell you, he had a need and the focus was getting very, very, very sharp on this need. First it's coming, yeah, I like that. And all of a sudden, oh, I need food and I need it now. So empty pockets, nothing there, empty stomach. And guess what he also had? Do you think he had a lot of friends about this stage? Of course not. People used him. No friends. Empty pockets, empty stomach, no friends. He's starting to feel the pain. Do not interrupt this process, parents and grandparents. You'll waste your time. If you're dealing with a drug addict, let, they have to come to the end, not because you think it's a good idea that they stop. They have to want it themselves. You'll waste your time and your money and you'll make no difference at all. So how do you think, let's think about the parents right now. How do you think the parents are feeling? Proud of their son, what he's doing? Shacking up with countless women on a pig farm for a Jew? Are you kidding me? This is non-kosher to the nth degree. Feeding slop to pigs? 
that made you highly unsanitary. I know that parents often wonder, why is my kid doing this to themselves? We taught them better. Huh? Why did they make that choice? But kids make choices. And God is a perfect parent. But even he has rebellious children who take one of his perfect gifts, which is free choice, and uses it for wrong. Less than optimal choices. Friends, can I put this one line, which may relieve some of your pain. Parental responsibility ends where control ends. You are no longer responsible. Parental responsibility ends where control ends. You're not responsible for what you're in control. And the big temptation here is when they hit the bottom and they're screaming out, Mummy, please send me some money. Because they'll normally go to mum because she's the softer one. Yeah? Send me an aid package. You know, fly, or you're tempted to fly out and catch them or see them. Be careful of offering a solution. In fact, don't. The right words to use here are these. Now take note of these. First of all, you've got to show some empathy. Honey, I'm really sorry. You're in such a pickle. You are in such a pickle. Here's the key. What are you going to do about this? Now, who's got the responsibility for solving the problem? They do, right? You put it right back on them. What are you going to do about it? Because if you offer suggestions, you've just fallen for the ploy again. Let them feel the pain. Circumstances have a way of disciplining our kids and teaching lessons that we will never be able to do. And it'll save you all your breath. You won't have to say another thing. (laughs) They'll get it. So what I'm saying in a sentence is this. Do not short circuit the natural um, consequences of the choices your children make. Don't short circuit it. And if they make a choice and they hit bottom, they need to reap the consequences of that choice. That way they learn. So, now because the father didn't send him another visa card, because it didn't happen, stage two came, which was reevaluation. What the heck am I doing? And regret. Reevaluation. Hmm. What situation am I in? Let's evaluate that. Hmm, what was I in? Hmm, let's evaluate one minus the other. Gee whiz, I don't like this. I'm going to do something about this. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, another beautiful triplet. Actually, four words. Came to his senses. I like that. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And I will sit out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. There's a confession. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. That's a degree of humility. Now look at these next two words. Make me like one of your hind hands. So notice the change in his attitude here. He went out saying, give me, give me, give me. And he comes back saying, make me. In a submissive way. 
submission. Focus of that verse is when he came to his senses, I will go back. Sometimes your children, your grandchildren will have to go a long ways down there, go through a lot of pain until they wake up. Because one morning they will wake up like that young man and he'll say to himself, my life's a mess. An unmitigated mess. But we never change until we're desperate. Some learn easy, some take many lessons. Some of you, me, took many lessons to bring me to my senses on some things. Then there's a repentance. He heads home, not for a change of clothes. Oh, well, I'll just fly home, sort of like grab a few more supplies and back out there. Doesn't go for some new clothes, but he comes back with a changed heart. Now, what happens here? What are we to do? One of the things we need to do for our kids when they're out and about is to pray, pray, pray. Do not forget to pray for your children. That's our responsibility. Second, commit them to God in that prayer because things that are out of my control are not out of God's control. Remember that. He's with them. He knows every thought that's going through their head. He knows every pain that they're feeling. He's he's got far more knowledge, far more power, and far more able than you or I. And thirdly, this is really important, wait. This is where we mostly fail. Wait. Be patient. Don't short circuit the process. Third, after we've done those things, we need to, stage three was the return. And we're going to read about that in verse 20 through 24. Now, remember here, we're looking at the perfect father in this parable. Let's see how he handles the return, which is an important part. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, that tells me the father's been looking out for this guy. Not sending couriers to see how he's doing. Still looking, being very patient, very self-controlled. His father saw him whilst he was a long way off and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now there are three things here that you can do when your child finally wises up. The first thing you need to do is you need to love them faithfully. His father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. No matter how far our children or grandchildren or friends fall, no matter how far they fall or how long you wait, the door needs to be left open for reconciliation. Don't slam it shut. So you love them faithfully. Now, by the way, please hear, parent, they may not always love you faithfully, but you are the parent here. Just like the father, love them faithfully, but don't bail them out in advance. That's what some people today would call tough love. B, accept them unconditionally. 
He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now here is an amazingly moving picture. He didn't set any conditions on that love. For example, he didn't say, oh man, you stink, you've been in a pig pen. Get a bath and shower and then come and see me. Didn't do that. Forget the pomp and protocol and, and, and pretense. He was compassionately personal, personally compassionate. The father gives him a big bear hug. Friends, the language of love always has a physical side to it. Always. Dads, hug your kids. Gets a bit awkward when your son's six foot three. (laughs) I still do it. Love your kids. Pat them on the back. Kiss them. There's a physical side to that. Now, do you know that you can accept someone without approving of their lifestyle? Hmm. Jesus did. We as Christians are called to accept everyone. The father fully accepted the wandering son who chose to come back. The father showed his acceptance and demonstrated it physically with a big bear hug, which made it very much easier for him to admit he was wrong. Look at the son's confession in verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, God, and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Question, when your kids do something that's wrong, or your spouse does something that's wrong, it's got application here, do you make it easy for them to admit when they're wrong? Or do, the moment it comes out of their mouth, do you say, well, you should have apologized, you know, and do you, you know, couldn't you muster a bigger apology? Or do you make it hard and push them back? So we're looking at the perfect father here, but look what happens here. Usually when a child comes back from home after a time of rebellion, there needs to be a time of mutual confession. Mutual confession. Things like, I've done things wrong. I haven't been the mother or the father that, that I want to be, let alone that God wants me to be. So mutual confession is important. And C, you need to forgive them completely. Luke 15, 22 says this, forgive them completely. The father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring them the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this son of mine was dead. Now he doesn't mean physically dead, it means as he was to me. Because he'd gone out in my life. I hadn't heard from him. He's dead as he was dead. As he has come to life again, who was lost and he's been found. And so they began to be merry. Now I want you to notice the attitude of the father there. The father, once the son, well, he embraced him. He took the initiative. They embraced him and they came together. They gave him a big bear hug. What he didn't do is he didn't rub it in. See, mate, I told you you'd waste all that money. I told you. It's no good down there. He did not. Be very careful. In fact, I would suggest that you take those three words, I told you, 
out of your vocabulary if you want to keep your relationships. And on that, I know why I'm saying this, but I think it's important to say this too. There will become times, I'm just going back a second here, when you have two very opposing personalities disagreeing about something within your household, be careful about tiebreakers. Some people have a tiebreaker over passing the salt and pepper. Don't do that. Tiebreakers are very rare, very, very, very rare. I'm not saying don't disagree, but I'm saying be careful. You can only die on so many hills. Be careful. So, the last thing that this son needed was a sermon. I told you so. I told you, you know, not to do that. He didn't need one. Life, just life. And the school of hard knocks had taught him the sermon. He got the T-shirt, been there, done that, not doing that again. And the father gave him another chance because of his humility. So he says, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Now in Jewish culture, a robe was a symbol of family togetherness. Very important. Saying that you are now restored to the family and to our fellowship. And the ring was a sign of responsibility. It had the family name on it. Very important. So when a child came back home, notice also the father gave him responsibility. I want to stop there for a moment. How much responsibility are you giving your kids? Because if you, your kids, some, some of you wonder why. Your kid at four years old can take some responsibility. That's not much, but it's something. But the point is, is at five, it gets a little, little bit more, just a little bit. Maybe it's unpacking something that's from the dishwasher that's not going to hurt or break, not your, obviously your best china, but something, making their bed. What responsibility? And as they go up, by the time they get to teenagers, they already know what responsibility feels like. And they don't buck it off. What's this? I don't want that. I haven't had that before. You've done anything for me. You've cooked all our meals. You've washed all my clothes. You've done all the gardening. And you want me to take this? I don't like this. So start young. Train up on a child in the way you go. Get those disciplines way back down there. So let's go back to this responsibility. This kid could have had the opposite reaction. When he came home, he, said, he could have said, Dad, I've screwed up so royally, I'm useless. You just tell me what to do. You make all my decisions for me. I've seen that happen. Father didn't do that. He said, no, no, no. You're not going to be a servant where you're told what to do. I want you to take responsibility. Do not let them become dependent upon you again. So again, the point is some return and say, I can't handle my life. I'm not responsible enough. I've made so many mistakes. They're so anxious for a father figure to dictate and make all their decisions for them. But the father was much smarter than that. He would not let his son become a servant and take orders but he wanted him to grow up and take responsibilities for his decisions and follow through with them. This story should really be called the story of the loving father because he's the hero. The story demonstrates and illustrates how God deals with your rebellion and with my rebellion. Now, we have made our own mistakes and have rebelled. And that's the word we use as Christians called sin. And the middle letter of sin is I. And that sin causes problems. And without God's help and guidance, you can end up with worry. Worry 
can be a sin. The scriptures talk about that. Guilt, fear, boredom, bitterness, depression and stress and pressure and marriage problems and sexual problems and parenting problems and and problems at work. Oh my goodness. And international problems. All because we have a bunch of people who want to do their own things. But when we come in honesty and sincerity and we admit our own mistakes, what does God do? As we wrap this up, he says, okay, now I want you to go sit in the corner for the rest of your life. Does he say that? No, of course not. You'll have no more fun. No, no, no. No, he gives us a second chance. He makes something beautiful out of a total mess. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about he brings beauty from ashes. Something that's completely burnt to the ground, nothing left. Some of you have kids that the jury is still out on. Some of you have kids that your heart is breaking because they are hurting you. They've rejected your values and you're wondering why. Can I encourage you today to give God your hurt? Because do you think God understands what it's like to have rebellious children? Do you think so? (laughs) Give God your hurt. Now, one other thing I would say is how many times have I heard in my life people say, well, I can do whatever I want, leave me alone. Boy, have I heard that one. Often from rebellious children. That's a really stupid thing to say. If my family would just back off, life would be great. Picture this for a moment, last illustration. You're in the middle of Australia and New Zealand in a dinghy, a little boat with your family and you're stranded, waiting for somebody to pick you up. Then you're sitting on the benches and all of a sudden, somebody in that boat decides to whip out a pocket knife and start drilling a hole under their seat. And you go, what in the world are you doing? You're going to sink the ship. And they come back with some ridiculous retort. Well, wait a minute, this is my seat. I can drill a hole wherever I want under my seat. That's ridiculous. Can I say this in a sentence? For the rest of your life, everything you do will affect the lives of other people around you, especially those whom you love most. Your decisions are not made in isolation. You do not have the right just to do your own thing. You're not a lone ranger. I have responsibilities to my wife and to my children. So maybe there needs to be some mutual reconciliation. I've done been doing my own thing or I haven't been the father I want to be or that God wants me to be or the mother that God wants me to be. And children may need to say, I haven't listened to you when I should have. There needs to be some reconciliation, some harmony, and some restitution. Let's pray. Folks, today, what's important is not what has gone on in the past, but which direction your feet are headed today. Are you ready to come to your Father and to have your sins forgiven? Are you ready to run into your Father's arms and take that distance out of your relationship with Him? Would you this morning say yes to Jesus Christ? Would you say in your heart, 
I want you to be my father. I need you. I believe that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die, to take the punishment for my sins and I want to live as a member of your family because I know my time on earth is short. Would you make yourself real to me and help me to change and be the person that I was meant to be? Today, if you made that decision in your life, would you let a friend know of your decision? Because it seems today that some of you are giving your hearts to Christ. Thank you for our time together, Lord. Thank you for your word, which is very practical and very inspiring. And it gives us courage. Help us to be doers of your word, not hearers only. In the powerful and everlasting name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. And everybody said, Amen.